Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Everybody, Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And on this episode, my special guest is Dr. Jennifer Ratner. She's the owner and founder of uh, the Ratner Center uh, for Physical Therapy and Wellness in, I believe it's Fort Worth, Texas, correct? That's correct. Yep. And uh, so Dr. Jen is a repeat offender. She has been on the Grow Your Practice podcast before. She has been on online webinars and trainings that we had. So welcome back to the, the show here, Dr. Jen. Thank you. Appreciate it. And what, do you prefer Dr. Jen? Jen, what, what do you prefer? You can just call me. You can just call me Jen. Okay. That's what <laughs> I thought. Good. Just wanted to clear it. So last time when we talked on the episode last time, you had walked us through how you had a bit of a business background growing up. I believe you were around uh, your parents or your, I think, I believe it was your father ran a business growing up and you really bloated out of the gates in your, your private practice career fairly quickly and had a lot of success. Bring us up to speed. Uh, what's going on in your practice right now? Where are you at? Where are you thinking about expansion? Uh, what, do you, what are you seeing in the marketplace? So the practice uh, we opened up in November of 2018 and decided at that point in my career, it was time for the next journey. I decided that I would open up a private practice. Um, it originally started with myself, a PTA and a PT. That was in November of 18. Since then, we have grown by leaps and bounds. And we now have, I'm looking to hire our 10th therapist and we have a total of 20 employees. So the journey has been exciting. It's been crazy. It's been quite a ride, obviously, coming through a pandemic and the challenges that that has presented. But as I was saying to you earlier, Chad, I, it's very interesting how when you're in a private practice, the growth that you go through as an owner is it's interesting. It takes you on twists and turns that you may have never seen coming. Everything from managing the building to managing your staff and very excited about the way I've grown as an owner over the past couple of years, but it, it consistently, uh, I think when you stop learning, you stop growing. And I think that's just a part of this journey even is uh, meeting with people like you and practice owners and continuing to grow. That's great. So 10 clinicians, 20 total staff, how many square feet do you have? We have 6,400 square feet. Okay. We have, we've expanded the space three times. So we originally started with the clinic space and then I quickly knew I wanted to add a wellness component to our practice. We added another 1400 square feet or so to that. We started with wellness and then during the pandemic, we were still growing and decided that it was time to add more space. And now we're, we're in a shopping center and we're somewhat landlocked at this point, unless, you know, either people on the end caps here or decide to move. And then at some point it'll be time to look at expansion and what does that look like? Are you thinking about that now? Well, we talked about it at the last podcast and I was thinking about it then and we just really weren't quite to that point, but I was beginning to go through the process of what that looks like. And so that's really where I'm at now trying to determine realistically how many patients can we see out of this space um, in any given day, in any given week with our wellness component, even comparing the revenue that comes in from wellness versus what the revenue could be coming in from PT and are we better off going all PT? You know, these are all things that I think about in terms of growing. So the answer to your question is yes, we are thinking about growing, but it's really a matter of fine tuning how we do that. 
it feels like jumping off the cliff all over again if you're thinking about opening up location number two, but it is, it, it can be, I, I would say number two is the, it's kind of like kids, like two's the hardest and then it gets easier Easier <laughs> after that when you start playing zone defense. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. So you're uh, doing really well. You're hiring clinicians. Anything that you see as the biggest challenge right now in the marketplace other than your space? So are you, are you maxed out in space right now with your calculations? We're not, we're not exactly maxed out on space at this point. I am anticipating we're currently in this space, like just this last week, we saw 364 patients this last week. I realistically think that if we maximize this space, we could probably push 450. Um, but that would probably be the max amount of patients. So we've got some room to grow. We're scheduling into the low 400s cancellation rates. We're trying to keep that under control. You know, even on our busiest days where we're seeing 100 patients in the clinic a day, it's, you know, it's tight, it runs, but we still have a treatment room or so downstairs. I'm about to purchase more equipment. And I think that'll make it easier in terms of our flow. So let's get into your questions here. Um, do you want me to read these or do you, would you like to read them? No, go for it. Yeah, okay. no, you go for it. So um, yeah, th this was great. V very rare. We, we have somebody who submits questions for the web or the, uh, the podcast prep, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'll let's roll with it. So number one is uh, what are the benefits of having smaller clinics of one to three therapists versus a larger clinic with 10? My, my thinking on this has evolved a little bit and uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the background. So opened up 2000 square feet 19 years ago now, which is kind of crazy. So 2000 square feet within three years had hired no other therapist, didn't grow up with your dad. <laughs> so, uh, well, my dad was actually a divorce attorney. So, you know, the business background, there was a little bit of business background Okay. to be, you know, but um, it was a service. Right. He, he it was, was a sur it was a service. Yes, my family's always been involved in service industry. So yeah, so we anyhow, I had struggled mightily in the beginning. Just I, I didn't know what I didn't know, and was very young and inexperienced, and, and thought I everything would just solve itself, and learned quickly that that wasn't how the real world worked. Two thousand six, we started hiring other PTs. I think I went from zero to hired three within four weeks. And uh, by 2009, we had filled that space with uh, three PTs, three PTAs outside of myself, and I was out of treatment. We, that year, 2009, we decided to open, and it, the economic condition of the country was not amazing at that point. Um, that was a, I forget what they call that. There was the uh, real estate bubble happens yes. right around that time. So at, we went from 2,000 square feet to 4,000 square feet in 2006. And then in 2009, that 4,000 square foot clinic, we moved to the building we're currently in and that it became 8,000 square feet. So we doubled the, that clinic again, very similar growth path as to what you've talked about. And then at that same year, we opened a second clinic, which was another 4,000 square feet. And I was, just, I was clueless. So I was running back and forth in the mornings I would treat um, in one clinic and then I would drive 20 minutes over lunch, you know, very unhealthy, eating lunch on the way there, yes. and then having to see more new patients. That was a disaster. That made me gun shy on opening other offices for, for years. In 2018, so eight years later, finally decided to try it again. 
This time around, we went through a training process where we trained the clinical director beforehand. And this is exactly what we'll be doing together in Denver mm-hmm. um, at our next live event. But um, so we trained the, cl- the existing clinic or the future clinical director on everything from finance to team building and personnel to marketing basics, operations and how to run, you know, meeting rhythms, look at metrics, stuff like that. So we did that and that clinic went from open, we opened September of 2018 and there are well over 200 visits now. They have five full-time clinicians and they hit hundred visits a week within seven weeks. So it was amazing. Awesome. Um, really, really cool. As an aside, that clinic space was previously a, a pops practice and the most that they had ever done was 73 visits in a week. Wow. That clinic now does, again, uh, well over 200 visits every week. They just had a record quarter um, that we're coming off of. We then did the same thing uh, three more times. Uh, that was Dolphin. Then we did, um, what was next? Cedar Cliff. And then Shrews. And that's same thing. 2,000 square feet, five clinicians. Then Shrewsbury. Then Hershey. And... Three of those four were completely out of space. So your question was, what are the benefits of having smaller clinics? Well, it it was great for us when we were a little bit gun shy, you know, having that memory burned into my brain from uh, losing out back in 2009 and just suffering through that. But now, like as we're looking at opening uh, two additional clinics this year, we're, we're actively trying to expand those spaces. And rather than go into like a 1200 square foot or maybe 2000 square footer, we're looking for 3000, 3,500. So we really have a five-year timeline to fill that space versus trying to do it in 12 months. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. I think though, the key to that is your clinical director and finding those people that absolutely can and are willing to want to do that. So my question, I guess, as a, as a result of that is what do you do to, I know you train clinical directors, but how do you incentivize your clinical directors to want to do something like that? Is it mentorship? Is it financial gain? You know, what is it that would entice somebody to be a clinical director to do that? Yeah. So great question. And there, I, I find three different motivators. But th- w- I think what you need to realize before we talk, discuss the three motivators is um, I copy. So <laughs> I'm, I'm a copycat. I look in or I clone frequently. I will look into other industries. And I'll, as I'm talking through this now, you know, uh, Jack Stack wrote The Great Game of Business. He had a manufacturing company, International Harvester, and they, he created ownership mentality the whole way from the executives down to um, the janitor and everybody else in between. He created that ownership mentality, which is what we're also desperately looking for as time-starved clinicians. Um, Les Schwab is another really good example who's frequently cited in the past by Charlie Munger. Les Schwab built a a billion-dollar tire sales empire by having this very shrewd system of, of motivation. So I, I went outside of PT and studied those, those models and we set it up. So number one, there has to be a core values match there. Right. And, and for me, it's, you know, exactly it's over your shoulder right now, but are you reading and 
are you resourceful? So, you know, I, I don't, we never bring on a clinical director who is just feed me, feed me, feed me, like tell me what to do. That is a disaster for us, right? right. We're looking for somebody who expresses competency in their current role. And they specifically say, I want more responsibility. That makes my job teaching so much easier because when I oh, say, sure. yeah, if I say Les Schwab, if I say Charlie Munger, if I, you know, if I start dropping hints of references of where I'm looking and reading, they're going to swim upstream and process that. Do you have anybody on your team like that right now? Yeah, I think my clinical director now is very hungry to, to grow and learn and do those things. But I have found that, you know, it's what other people on your team are really looking for that when sometimes I think all a clinician can can see sometimes is the grind that they're in in patient care. Some people, it's it's stepping out of your comfort zone and doing something that may be uncomfortable to grow. And I have found that there's a subset of people that are absolutely looking to grow and learn and and want that ownership. That was that was me. I was a clinical director in a private practice for ten years, wanting to grow and learn, and and that's why I think I eventually decided to open up my own practice because. I craved that, but I will tell you that not everybody is for sure that. And I think that it's, it's challenging at times. You've got practitioners that they love to treat and they are amazing at their craft and that's what they want to do. It's interesting that when we hire, you know, that's typically the questions I'm asking. What do you, you know, what are you looking for in your career? What's your five-year goal? What's your 10-year goal? What do you see yourself doing long-term? Because you want to know, is this somebody that they just want to treat and they love treatment and they want to go through all the manual therapy certifications and board certifications and all those things because that's their passion. Or is this somebody that really wants to learn the business side of the practice and grow? Yeah, I, I think you nailed it there. And my the question that I ask word for word is, uh, where do you see yourself in five years? And you had a very similar question there, Jen. Once we've established they want more responsibility and they have some behavioral history of growing. Yeah. Then it's, we, we start teaching. I have 12 steps and I, it's, here's the didactic material or the, the lecture material, whatever you want to call that. Here's the information. And then let's see you apply it. So we're constantly going back and forth. And then what, you know, what is emphasized on the webinars or in my story or in the books or whatever is this lightning fast success. What nobody looks at is the six to 12 months of prep beforehand. And I think if you start investing now, you know, you have your clinical director, does that person get any sort of profit sharing or anything like that? Not at this point. Okay. So Not at this point. We do that. We, there's a, there is what I would call 95 to 100% fair market value base pay. And then we do uh, a profit sharing as well. That is something that for legal and ethical reasons, you should be talking with, you know, Paul Welk or somebody in compliance about how to set that up the right way. So you're not violating a practice act or anything like that, but you, you should be able to create some sort of stake in the game. Right. So we, we do it through a profit sharing model and that works out very well. They're bought into that success. And I agree with that. I think the buy-in is really important. And that's probably the reason why I opened up my practice is because there was so much conversation about buy-in, 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 and it never really 
came to fruition the way it was intended to. So um, I think my challenge, you know, probably in terms of a profit sharing situation at this point, since we're talking about this, is you get to a point where you're watching, and I know we, we talked last time about the performa and how important it is to know the health of your practice and exactly where you're at at any given time. And, you know, what as an owner you're willing to give up from a profit perspective to keep everybody happy and, and moving forward. I think when you open up a practice, you know, you take out a loan. I took out a loan to renovate the space and to get myself started. And then you refinance that loan and yet that loan still has to be paid off. And when you calculate all those things in and understand what it costs to truly run a practice with a small profit margin, you know, I think that's what we'll get to in a minute is probably one of my other questions about how you grow that we're under a situation of declining reimbursements. So you have to figure out a way to increase your profit. Well, some, some would argue the way you increase profit is by exploding your volume and by having your therapist see 20 visits a day or 25 visits a day. And that's one model and one way to do it. It's not really the model that I wanted to incorporate. I really didn't want my therapist. I didn't want to become a patient mill where patients were leaving saying, well, the therapist never touched me and the end they don't come back or they don't have good things to say about your practice. So it's really the balancing act of if you're not going to have your therapist seeing 20 patients a day, how do you generate enough revenue to where you're comfortable as an owner with what you're bringing home on a profit side, where at the same time you're wanting to invest in your practitioners and a profit sharing model is, is ideal. I think I know for me in my growth that that, that was really what I all, that's what I always wanted. Had I had a great profit sharing model at my previous practice, I don't think I would have ever opened up my own practice. I would have been content continuing to grow with them, yep. which is what forced me then to, to do what I'm doing. A lot, a lot to unpack there. Let's. Yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's fine. The, the, so w- one of the first principles you have to think about is the, the cost of scale. Right. And you know, the, and I, I'll just use myself. So my base pay has been the same, I think for 15 years and it's, 75k, right? Pretty anemic. But 75k when we were seeing uh what were we at? So if we were at three full-time therapists, three full-time PTAs, let's call it 350 visits a week at the time. We were probably averaging like 3 three and a half units. I'm just at mm-hmm. off the top of my head. So 75k spread across one clinic is 75k per clinic, right? Now now we have six. So I'm really only 12K per clinic or whatever that comes at, 12,500 per clinic per year. So as you grow and expand, there should be your costs, right? Or the cost of your billing should be more, should get more efficient. The cost of your legal compliance, ethics, all uh, your HR, there should be cost arbitrage for you. It is hard to stay small and have a huge profit margin unless you're a lone wolf solopreneur and in a, in a very small space where you're controlling all your costs just because you don't you don't need those other those other services those other add-ons but once you start growing and scaling it it it's tough to hang out at a million dollars a year in revenue and then increase your profit margin so i i think 
there, there is a game in there that, you know, continuing to systematically and predictably add more clinicians every year makes that more palatable. The other thing that I'll say is uh, if I, like knowing what I know now, the more aggressive we are with the profit sharing model, the less pressure it was on me and the easier it was for us to expand. And just like, I, I think we agree on the point, you know, you said I never would have left, right? If right. if there would have been a, a reasonable profit sharing model in there. And we're, so we have um, basically, I've shared this before, but like a reserve expense, it's now a CBO, central business office expense, but then we take 25% of our profit margin and distribute it into a bonus pool. And that is, uh, it's, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it motivates a therapist who has a patient drop off just to pick the phone up and make that extra call to the patient and ask what's going on. Right. So I, I, I know we all live in this altruistic utopia where everybody does the right (laughs) thing all the time without any financial motivation, but then there's reality. And reality is if, I'm bought in and I have that ownership mentality. I'm going to behave a little bit differently. And that's what we're looking for. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The other thing around shrinking reimbursements, and this is, I'm not sure we've talked about this on the podcast, but um, revenue per hour is, is a missed metric for most practice owners. If I'm in an area, you know, lowest reimbursement in the area, I, I think it's Northern New York state and it's, let's call it $60 per visit, right? Just capped $60 per visit, no matter what I do. Well, if I'm seeing a patient an hour, that is brutal, nearly impossible to keep my doors open, right? Agreed. But if if I'm seeing 30 minute visits or maybe even something like 25 minute visits, something like that, so I'm providing care, I'm able to get my manual therapy in, I'm doing some sort of quick exercise, right, with the patient, and then moving on to the next appointment, that, you know, rather than $60 an hour, now I'm generating $120 an hour, maybe I can push that to 150. That is, I don't hear many owners talking about that in PT, Cairo, podiatry, but but that is a real efficient business way to look at that. I agree. And I think that's something actually that we incorporate when we're we're training staff about our schedule and you pull up our schedule, the patients are color coded based on insurance. So when you see a color, you know, if it's a fee for service and you're going to get paid for everything you do versus if it's a capitated rate. And, you know, I use the analogy all the time. If you went to a massage therapist and you wanted an hour massage and that massage cost a hundred dollars, but you know, you went to the hour massage and you said, well, I'm really only going to give you $50 for the hour. It just really, it doesn't make sense. It's not fair. And I said, if you were that massage therapist, would that be fair to you? And the answer is no. So I think there's this stigma of, well, we have to treat everybody the same. They're a patient. I don't care what the insurance payer is. We have to treat them all the same. I don't necessarily agree with that. Yes. You need to provide treatment, you need to get the patient better, you need to get results, but your patient that you're only making $60 for a visit, the visit probably shouldn't be an hour. And if they're there for an hour, then it's, it's somewhat overlapped per se to, to make up the difference. So, 
Yeah, I, we're on the same page there. I think every practice is a little bit different, but you at least have to be aware of it and start thinking through. For sure. Of, yeah, seeing 40 $60 visit patients in a week, it, it's nearly impossible to meet your space costs. And especially if you have support staff, like a receptionist or billing or anything else, Yes, um, nearly impossible there. Your next question is, how do you renegotiate insurance contracts to gain more revenue per visit? <laughs> um, so Tracy, who runs our billing, does as well a job at this as I can imagine. She just asks, like, hey, is there, you know, these are the, we're eliminating any, anybody that pays less than $70 a visit. You're at $70 a visit. Is there anything that you can do here? Here's what it costs us. We break down our cost per visit and we just, she'll ask the question. Sometimes we get a bump. Sometimes we eliminate that pair. And outside of that, as a small practice, you know, with a, a provider who's paying out $400 million a year in our area, and we represent $40,000 of that, <laughs> whatever it might be, we're just a pain in their tail. The Easiest one that what feels like a layup to me has been where whoever we get our insurance from, they represent, you know, where we're buying our insurance to cover our employees. So a really good idea. If that doesn't line up with what they're telling you as a provider, I call that out in the process pretty quick. So you have a rep who's selling you their service, right? And then you have a rep that's dealing with you as a provider. And I've found that the majority of the time, those two stories, those two narratives don't line up really well. And if you just call it out, they'll usually either help you understand or they'll, there'll be some negotiation in there, but it's not, they're not going to add, you know, $5 per build code or anything like that. Right. Although, you know, if we're getting three to $5 a visit total, that is a really big deal. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a big difference. And it's all margin too. So which is totally uh, lets us keep our doors open. Have you yes. learned, have you learned anything different there? No, I mean, you know, we're struggling to do that. And I'm at a point where I'm debating, do you drop your lower insurance payers and go out of network? Or are you going to be giving up visits and, and what's the difference there in terms of attempting to level it out a little bit? We've been fortunate in that our, you know, we see a lot of, of payers that, or fee for service. They pay us for what we do. So, you know, if you divide up all of our insurance payers across the board, the ones that we see the most of are fee for service payers. If that ever changed and got capped, I'd be really sweating and obviously trying to go after maybe companies that are in the area that have a certain insurance that's fee for service where we could gain more of their of their staff as patients, potentially, you know, trying to build relationships there. But, you know, I've often debated whether or not we drop our lower, you know, and the ones that require the more most out of our therapists, you know, oh, you've got to fill out this form and you have to submit this and, oh, we want a conference call with you. And yet you're not going to pay us to do the reevaluation or to fill out those forms. So you get to a point where you get really tired of that. Yep. So some quick references for you. Um, Katie Britton had a nice, I believe a podcast episode on that. I interviewed her on that and what she and uh, a few others in 
breakthrough and in private practice, what they did in Louisiana. Okay. And then um, the, the other one was uh, Owen Pro PT, Owen Lennon. And yeah, he's with Pro PT. They have 200 plus locations. They're in uh, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, I believe, Massachusetts. I think they're in five states. And he is the head of their uh, clinical education and then takes their outcomes and then goes to insurance companies and negotiates. I think I had him on the podcast a year or two ago. And third one is, as you're thinking through location number two, please remember this portion of it because you can, in you know, of all the areas that, you know, if you drew a 20 mile radius around your current clinic, there are some areas that are going to have better payers in that area, right? Better subscribe, better paying subscribers. And there are going to be some that are worse. And you're going to want to think through where do people live that have either better paying insurance or they're going to be able to overcome, you know, if you have a cash pay service or something like some mitigation in there, um, you, you want to start thinking through that because it does, you can mitigate that to some degree. Number four is uh, what other, is it accretive? Accretive. Accretive services can you provide besides laser? We're doing that to increase revenue. I ju- we didn't release this podcast yet, but I had a, uh, Jeff Langmaid on, and he did a phenomenal job. Uh, he talks about three different pathways to cash services. One is a cash service like laser. Off the top of my head, number two was some sort of subscription type service. Now, w- there are various ways that you can do this, but you know, we are, what was the APTA? Is it movement specialists of choice? Musculoskeletal experts of choice, something like that. There was a moniker that they had a year or two ago. I haven't heard it recently, but anyhow. Yeah, I don't don't know. Yeah. So whatever that may be, I mean, think about the deal that dentistry did in the late, starting in the late seventies, where it's like, okay, the right thing to do is go to see your dentist every six months. Did that have any scientific backup in any way at all? I don't know, (laughs) but it's just accepted. (laughs) everywhere. That's what we do. Right. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what's more important, your teeth or the way that you're moving? For most of us, it's going to be musculoskeletal health, right? Right. The, yeah. If I have a small cavity or something like that, not nearly as big of a deal as if I can't stand up from a, from a low chair or something like that. Right. Dramatically affects my, my life in a more dramatic way. So more significant way. So you know, the, what Jeff talked about is setting up, um, you know, movement checkup or something like that. And, you know, as physical therapists, we're made to do, you know, same thing, podiatry, chiropractic care, etc. like every specialty can benefit from that in some way. We have done that um, for years. We have always, uh, up until this point, not charged for that. We, we just call it a, a recheck where you come in for a 10 minute appointment we check what you have going on. And if there is some step backwards, so you had 155 degrees of shoulder scaption and now you're, you took a big step back and you're down to 125 and you're having shoulder pain again, we'll reactivate, create a new plan of care, you know, go through a thorough evaluation, et cetera, all from that screen that has worked really well for us, but something along those lines, some sort of subscription-based service can be a really big deal. The other thing is, uh, that Jeff mentioned, I think the third category was like a maintenance 
type. Now, obviously, if you're participating with Medicare, you can't offer this to Medicare patients, right? at least without great complexity and debate. But for non-Medicare, non-federal payers, where you're not violating some sort of uh, agreement that you have with the insurance company, you typically can provide some sort of maintenance. So, you know, if it's uh, somebody who's into rock climbing or cycling or running, I mean, you've mentioned massage therapy before. That's most massage therapists are selling weekly, monthly, biweekly packages, right? Right. It's the same. Or it's more like concierge. You know, you have access to your PT. Exactly. It's a concierge type service. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, and I'll, I'll throw a fourth one in, which is not talked about much at all, but um, we have former DPT who worked here, moved back to the Philadelphia area, um, basically started an info business, which is something that I had done back in 2012 off of YouTube. We would drive people, we called it three minute relief. The laws were very gray. So we just, we aban- we officially shut it down a year or two ago. But um, we created an online information course where you could go learn how to treat your own back. A former student, former DPT, mentored him in opening his own business, Charlie Johnson, um, outside of Philadelphia. And he converted over to a completely information-based treatment approach. He's doing very well. And he's, his time is scalable. You, you, again, you're going to want to check your laws and practice act, et cetera, but it, it would be something super logical for you and I to incorporate into our practice. The other, uh, I just remembered another one that, uh, that Dr. Jeff said was uh, supplements, vitamins, the, and his contention was not, you know, not everybody needs to be on creatine or a protein powder or whatever that may be. But he said, there are you know, very basic multivitamins that, that we should be taking every day that are easy to recommend. Do you take vitamins? Oh yeah. Lots. <laughs> what, do you, what do you take? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have ulcerative colitis. And so my own personal health journey had led me to some of the best functional medicine doctors in the world. And so it, it, you know, fish oil, turmeric, vitamin B, probiotics, vitamin D. I take a whole handful of vitamins uh, in the morning. So, and this was prescribed by the, by the functional medicine, you know, physicians to help, to help get me healthy. I was super sick when I was first diagnosed and yo-yoed steroids for a long time. And so the rebalance for me in terms of getting the inflammation down was the right supplements. Uh, So that's been a godsend for me. Um, you know, and I thought about, you know, it, well, if you carry supplements in your clinic, I thought about that and I thought, well, what about physicians that get mad that think you're trying to practice medicine? You know, it's, they, I think I always got nervous that if I prescribed their patients something that it would come back to bite me. And I, I kind of very quickly got away from the idea of that so that I wouldn't step on those toes and have some sort of conflict. Okay. I mean, I, I would like to I'll yeah, tell yeah. you my newest, my newest yeah. idea is that in our shoulder workshop that we do uh, once a month, we have one tonight, we talk about sleeping positions and the number one pillow I recommend 
is the Tempur-Pedic neck pillow. I have a horrible neck. And so we talk about this pillow and if, you know, if I got a percentage of all the Tempur-Pedic neck pillows I sold, uh, it would be fantastic, <laughs> but there's like zero. So then I thought, well, Jen, why don't you design a pillow, you know, and actually sell it and market it. So that's kind of an idea I'm tossing around and working with a manufacturer on, but you know, it's just a way to give somebody something that helps them sleep and provides good comfort. But at the same time, it's, it's a revenue generator. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see that that story is still ongoing. We'll see how that turns out. <laughs> yeah, there, there are, I believe there are easy scalable ways to do that. Um, you, the taking on manufacturing the pillow, I applaud your, your courage there. That's amazing. Well, it helps. It helps when you know people that actually do that. Okay. So I have a contact and, you know, when that contact is a patient, then you begin to have these conversations in the clinic and one thing leads to another. And then all of a sudden you're attempting to design a pillow. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was working out. The, um, I, I can tell you, I I've never, so the, the supplement thing was completely just lost. And I never even thought about it. And then we were talking about the statistics, it's 60 to 70% of the people coming through our doors each month are taking some sort of supplement already. Right. They, and I think we're pretty safe to like, you probably did quite a bit of research on your condition and especially hearing about the effectiveness on the quality of the, the supplement. Right. So yes, whether it's thorn yes. or whatever that like you're thinking. Correct. Of, right. So it's like, you've done, you've offered, like, you're not only a walking testimony, but like, I'm, I'm sure it's coming up with patients once in a while about what they're taking all the time. Yeah. So between different online platforms, probably Shopify is the most popular where you could easily set up a, a link or Amazon makes it very easy as well, where you could say, Hey, here's the list of what I take every day. And if you're interested, you can go check this out and get it for yourself and try it yourself. That, that was Jeff's point is it's like, we're basically walking on acres of diamonds that we're not even thinking through in any way. Yeah. That's true. I agree with that. Okay. So your next, we, we made it through your questions, but the next big point that you had in here was about making sure every area of your business is running well. How do you, can you walk us through as a practice owner, how you think about your business and now how you, when you're working on your business, how you go through and inspect each one to make sure it's, it's working optimally for your standards, Jen. So I think that what I realized um, over the past two years is that as a practitioner who would, you know, it's that whole saying of you really need to work instead of working in your business, you need to work on your business. And when you're treating full time, I think what I've realized is that the most valuable thing is time. Over the past couple of years, I've been fortunate to be able to step away from practicing at least as much, you know, if I could treat three days a week instead of five days a week and allow myself some time to be able to focus on these things that need to be taken care of. And that waxes and wanes based on how many therapists we have and are we short? Are we not short as we're growing? We're a practice that last year grew by 42%. So we had a tremendous amount of growth when we, when you grow from 8,000 visits in a year to 14,000 visits in a year, you just go, okay, well, how, how am I physically going to do all this? 
And I think one thing I realized is that it's very much about taking the step to put the right people in place. And so creating that hierarchy within your practice. I now have a clinical director and I now have an office manager. So those two people, I lean on very heavily to help me manage some of the, the everyday things that need to be monitored. For example, the office manager, monitoring collections at the desk. One thing that we did um, towards the end of last year, which I think was super helpful, was we had our billing, our billings and our biller audited. Um, it's one thing to go into your, your system and look at your AR and, you know, I am not a biller. And so I think there were certain areas where I felt maybe a little bit exposed. And so I hired uh, Bob Kowalik with Revenue Cycle Solutions to do a full audit of our system and our biller, because I really wanted to know where are we losing money if we are losing money. And all in all, I was pretty pleased with the way that review came back. Um, and that review came back very favorably, but it said, you know, you're, you're tending to lose money at your front desk. Your biller is doing a fantastic job. Your AR is way under control, but where you're tending to lose revenue is potentially at the collections at your front desk. So this is where the office manager now runs reports. So that way we know every week where they may have missed out in billings. It would be obviously my goal to have to send zero statements because you're collecting it all up front. We know that if you're having to send statements that you may be giving up you know, thousands of dollars because people don't pay. And unless you're gonna send them to collections and then go through that whole process. But back to my original point, it's about using the hierarchy to take care of some of those things. Management of, we have four technicians, you know, who manages the techs? You know, between the clinical director and the office manager, when something happens, instead of coming to the owner, they're able to go to those people to handle various situations, whether it's patient complaint or whether it's we need to order supplies because we need more, you know, massage oil or whatever it may be. So it's having all the systems and processes in place where things don't get dropped. Our most recent thing with the incorporation of breakthrough and doing shoulder workshops and incorporating the whole breakthrough system is managing in that system. It takes someone that consistently can go into the system, manage those people in terms of when they're going to get certain emails or what emails, what email campaigns are we going to send out? There's constant management within our breakthrough system. And so the office manager, again, helps with that. So there's just so many areas that you can be exposed, managing, even schedule, right? You have a therapist that we pay on an hourly basis um, in this practice. And you have a therapist who had a patient cancel. What are they doing with that time? And, you know, obviously we're encouraging them to follow up with lost patients so that you're attempting to bring patients back in. Um, we encourage them to check in on their patients. So there's this constant communication between them and the patient, continuing to establish a great rapport. You know, but if there's a big hole there, who's managing what happens during that time? You like to have a staff that they're on top of it and they're making good use of their time all the time. But if you're paying for this empty hole, that could be a place where potentially you're losing, you're losing money. And how are we filling those spaces? Who's managing our cancellation list? When a patient cancels, do we have a cancellation list so that we can fill in those holes on our schedule? And is your team trained to be able to do that? And who is going to train them to do that? So
there is no way with the volume that we're now seeing, the amount of employees we now have, that I can do it all on my own. Um, and even times, there's times that I struggle. There's times that you aren't sleeping much at night because you're trying to catch up on your documentation and, oh, I need to go pay this bill. And, you know, what happened with this patient? Why did they fall off? Or why did I get this email from this patient and that I need to answer? So I think as owners, we get pulled, we can get pulled in a million different directions. And I think, Chad, you mentioned it at one point a few minutes ago that you can really get to that unhealthy standpoint where you're cranking and cranking and cranking. And at some point, you know, what gives, and you take someone like me that has ulcerative colitis and, you know, the stressors. And that's why I take a handful of supplements every morning so I can keep myself going. But at some point you have to be able to delegate and it's being able to delegate to the right people and be able to help manage all the different systems and processes it's very easy to bleed out. You could very easily not be controlling your AR or not be controlling your cancellations. And those are areas where it's just lost revenue. And on a, on a thin profit margin as it is, there's very little room for error. And I have found that this past year has very much been about how do we eliminate these errors so that we're not, we're not bleeding um, and that we're continuing to remain profitable. Obviously, the more profit, you know, what's amazing to me and the one thing that I've also realized this year, especially with the growth, is the, and you mentioned it, it was in one of my questions, in one of my questions I had to you before, it's about the accretive return. It's about once you reach a point of where all your expenses are paid and you get to a volume level, then there's, there's great profit that's available to you. If your systems and processes are running well and you're running it tight and you're, ma you're managing that increase in volume with expenses, it can be unbelievably profitable. You just have to, to get it to that point. Last question for you. Sure. I appreciate you elaborating on that. That was great. You, it, it sounded like you were stressing having the right people on your team, the right seat, being able to delegate and ultimately free you up, you know, so you can continue to work on the business as you're growing and expanding. How'd you find your key people? Liza, correct? Uh, yeah, Liza's my, my office manager. So office manager and clinical director, how'd you find them? And then more importantly for the clinicians out there, how did you know? Because it's very easy for us to get, let ego get in the way. And we're, you know, we're the best at everything. We know best. Everything has to run through us. And I know it seems like you have a really good relationship with Liza and your clinical director as well. How'd you find them and how'd you know they were the right people? Well, ironically, so my clinical director and I have been working together for 18 years. Liza and I have been working together for oh, probably just about as long. I mean, it's, we have very long-standing relationships. So these are people that had worked with me previously. When it, when it became time for me to open up a a practice, and I knew I was going to do this, there were a handful of people that are all still here that said, we're coming with you. And I said, well, hang, hang on. I'm, I, I'm not going to take you from the existing practice, you know, and I can't, I'm not sure that I can bring everybody here. And when, you know, originally the idea of starting with, with three therapists was, was nerve wracking to me. I wasn't sure what was really going to happen. And they said, well, so, you know, we'll continue to work in this practice. We'll sit on the sidelines. We'll wait. And 
all of those original people are still with me. It was a really strong core group of people. Uh, I felt very humbled and honored that they wanted to follow me and, and grow with me. And they have a true passion for that. They're just, they're amazing people. Moving forward in terms of some of our, and some of our hires, you, you see qualities in people that you think, I think you see qualities in people that you know, they have the ability to grow and you want to nurture that and foster that. I think part of our downfall is that the growth of this, of the original team happened over a period of time, but it happened during a non-pandemic. You have to understand that my practice, I was open only a year before the pandemic hit. And then during the pandemic, everything was shut down. So we weren't going to happy hours. We weren't doing a lot of team building. We were very shut down and isolated. And I think in that respect, it somewhat hurt us because of the ability to bond the team together. There are, I have some amazing clinicians and that's where the process needs to happen now is to really continue to bond and nurture those clinicians in that team, incentivize them appropriately and continue to work on driving those relationships forward. Awesome. Dr. Jennifer Ratner, you are a gem. Thank you so much. Thank for- you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, any other parting words of wisdom before we sign off here? Uh, just keep going. <laughs> step, step out of your comfort zone and keep going. <laughs> That's great. And uh, if, if our listeners want to learn more about you or um, get in touch with you or follow you, what, what's the best way for them to do that? So they can email me, jratner, J-R-A-T-N-E-R at ratnerpt.com. Happy to help anybody on the journey. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.